Alan. How's it going, man? Going good. We are back for a brand new episode of AB Testing. Episode number 64. A square number. I, once again, can't believe we made it this far, but I'm happy. And we will find something new and interesting or regurgitated to talk about, which is pretty much the way things work at AB Testing. Yes. It's good to be here. Good to see you uh, hanging out in our hazy Seattle weather. Canada sent all their fire smoke to us. Yeah, it actually caused some some disturbance in the Jensen household because my kids were like, Dad, why does it look so foggy? And I'm like, that doesn't look like fog. That looks like smog. And they're like, what? what? Smog? Yeah, they looked at me like, what? Why? Oh, Dad, making up words again. I'm like, no, this one's actually a thing. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't see it much in this part of the country. No. In our green, green Seattle. Where I grew up, you see it all of the time. All right. I'm heading off to uh, Helsinki next week again. Didn't you just come back from someplace? It's, it's actually been... I Actually, I haven't traveled in a while. I go to San Francisco a lot. I don't even count oh, that as travel anymore. I just call that a longer commute to work. And often, most times I go down, I will go down for the day. I'll take a 6.30 flight. I'll get into the office by 9.15 or so, and I'll spend the whole day there and take a it's like a 7 o'clock flight home. It must have been a trip to San Francisco. I, so, I vaguely recall you uh, diatribing on uh, interaction with some of our fellow humans on your last flight. Oh, probably. Uh, I always complain about my humans. Actually, for, but for the commuter flights, they're actually pretty good. I'm, I went to Helsinki once already in March, but heading back, having a, a leads off site there to uh, talk about people, do some planning, et cetera. should be a good time. And there may be some drinking. I've heard that happens in Helsinki. I've heard it happens in Helsinki. But I didn't look it up. I think the day should be about 20 hours long, 22, somewhere in there. Yeah, it helps you go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, before we get started today, we have a sponsor for this episode. Uh, once again, the lovely folks at Star, uh, or Techwell, I should say, are who do the Star conferences, also have a conference called uh, Agile Dev East. What? Yeah, what? Whoa. What? And uh, if you are looking for customized learning options to explore test-driven <clears throat> development techniques, tool selection, automation design, uh, to fully integrate testing into Agile delivery teams, you can attend Agile Dev East, which is the premier Agile event covering the latest techniques and topics to understand the efficiency necessary for project success. And that is this November 5th through 10th in Orlando, Florida, home of Disney World. So is Star... Renamed, rebranded. No, no, stars in May. This okay. is actually actually Agile Dev East. Okay. Te Techwell does a whole bunch of different conferences. This one largely geared towards Agile Dev, but there's like I think it's coming up here in my script, but a whole bunch of topics on Agile testing. Love it. Me too. Uh, learn the technical and team skills testers need for success in the world of agile development. Immerse yourself in hot topics such as agile and lean development principles and practices, scaled agile development, agile teams and leadership, digital transformation, and more. And once again, stopping for annotation is I was thinking while I was uh, reading that is this would be a great conference to, if you're an agile tester or a modern tester, attend it with some of your dev counterparts. Yeah. Like the whole team can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I li I li I li actually, I really like that idea. Yeah. As an added bonus, 
Who bonus? Does, who doesn't like an added bonus? <laughs> uh, Agile Dev East is co-located with Better Software and DevOps East conferences. Your one registration automatically gives you access to all three programs. Holy cow. Bring what? the whole company. What are those conferences? Uh, Better Software. Okay. And DevOps East. And there's so much overlap. We've talked about. Yeah. There is a massive, and especially where I work, a gray, gray, almost white, invisible line between ops and dev and test. Yeah. So I could, this would be one of those conferences where I would maximize my value by watching like 10 minutes of every talk, skipping, skipping from room to room. Hopefully they have them recorded. Yeah. Wow. Back on track here. Your one registration, as I mentioned, automatically gives you access to all three programs with insights and solutions across the dev lifecycle to build a customized week of learning that fits you and your organization's specific needs. Explore the program at uh, well.tc, W-E-L-L.tc forward slash A-B testing. And I'll put this in the notes on the website. And of course... I wouldn't have gotten this far if I wasn't going to mention this. AB testing listeners can use the code ABTEST to receive up to $200 off their conference registration fee. Register by the September 8th super early bird deadline, which isn't that early for a conference in November. That's great. For a combined savings for up to $600 off. And when you start talking about bringing your whole team, that's a heck of a savings overall. You can... Tell your boss that send the whole team and take the money saved. And Alan said you could have that money as a bonus. You did say an added bonus. Yeah, I did say an added bonus. Uh, (laughs) TechWell does not guarantee your boss will give you that bonus, but that is a suggestion from me. Uh, Let me know how that works. Again, uh, well.tc, whack AB testing. I'll post that later. But that sounds like, I mean, that's a good idea. That's like putting, that's like a food court. I'm going to use this, uh, and thank you, TechWell, for the sponsorship, and I hope our listeners go. But I want to use this topic to uh, – this ad, this uh, sponsorship to – in thinking about this show, it's inspired a lot of questions that I thought I could think about myself or I could just bounce them off of you here yeah. today once you stop looking at your phone. I'm just looking at the topics here. Okay. Lots they got of topics. lean. They got safe. Yeah. Uh, Scrum, something called IC Agile. I've never heard of that one. It's it's. You ever had lunch at Google? Yes. So you have a whole bunch of different kinds of food you can eat. Yep. And you can eat as much as you want. This is that for Agile. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the the second part of your phrase is a little scary when it comes to Agile. Yeah, just get, just fill up a little bit of a – go to the sushi bar, get some of that, and go, you know what? I'm kind of hungry today. I'm also going to go to the pasta bar. And this guy's making fresh uh, uh, smoked teriyaki <clears> something. <throat> I'm going to have some of that and it goes, and desserts. and Yeah. So Agile's a little dangerous when you when you pick and choose a la carte. <sighs> yeah. Okay, don't don't – Take my metaphor for what it's worth and then shut up. Shutting up. Shutting up, yeah. So I want to talk about Agile and Agile testing. We, One thing, I'm all out of order here because I'm thinking while I talk and this shit happens, is our podcast, AB Testing, is as much of an Agile podcast as it is a testing podcast, as it is a quality podcast, as it is a podcast about nothing particularly at all. And then every now and again, data. <laughs> and 
and and data as well. Absolutely. So we're uh, which I like, uh, and, and I services. am going to uh, break my arm a little bit and pat ourselves on the back because I do listen to every podcast, not in its finalized form, but during editing, uh, I get to re- re-listen back, and I also listen to a lot of podcasts in my car. My car has TuneIn Radio built in, which has podcasts built in, so I can just uh, have my favorites there and listen to them. TuneIn has a podcast here? Yeah. Oh. And I listen to a lot of different podcasts about a bunch of different ideas, and as far as production quality and speaker quality and pretty much intelligence quality and everything else, we don't compare it all to things like uh, uh, anything. M- most ninety nine percent invisible. Uh, in- any of the, I mean, there's some really well done podcasts out there. But I got to tell you, when I listen to agile podcasts and testing podcasts, and this is just my ego talking, but I think we have a pretty damn good podcast, despite the fact that we're idiots. It's amazing. In, um, I think it's listenable. I think we uh, have uh, topics that inspire thought, and I, I just I'm I'm proud of what we've done. I am as well. Yeah, the I've listened to uh, several agile podcasts, and one of the things I I personally think I think we're a lot more entertaining. I like to think so. So uh, tell your friends that we're cool. Uh, I am now up to, this is the awkward thing. I have an awkward point in my life. This never happened to me at Microsoft. Now it's happened at Unity. Is I now have at least three people who tell me they actively listen to the podcast. That are employees? Employees of mine. I have employees that in our one-on-one topics list like an episode of A-B testing where they want to talk about something I talked about on that episode more. <laughs> yeah. So I have to be Did you cur- tell them the mailbag link is right here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk to the hand and the hand is has an A B testing tattoo on it. No, I want them to post it on the 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 mailbag link just so that I can help them torture you. Oh, great, great. And usually it's like uh so far it's been I like that idea. How do you think that applies here? So, uh, oh, that's good. So I, so yeah, that's good. Anyway, it's it's scary and bizarre. And then, uh, someone internally asked about like pod. Are there articles or podcasts I should listen to? And one of them posted, "Check out the A B testing podcast." And, no, I don't need more <laughs> listeners. No, because I'm. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think I've ever said or. I'm not one to guard my words, so I think if I ever said anything. Totally controversial. Like I work with a VP who's a something. One, it's just not true. But two, I think they go, "Oh yeah, totally." Like if I, the thing is, I'll, I'll I think it, you have done that one though. But I'll phrase. Actually, I have had. There's one VP in particular I'm thinking of I at Microsoft think, or here. Microsoft. Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and that's what I was gonna say. It's like I will call it like it is, and and most of the time it's like, yeah, that's true. Um, definitely, I I worked with some dipshit VPs at Microsoft. I think that's, that that stays in the PG thirteen area, so I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, we're talking about the podcast. It's good. People like it. They listen to it. And then Agile. I'm going to ask you a wait question. before you before you do that, like just to close out the star thing. Oh sure, I Previews love this Agile Dev 
this Agile Dev Conference idea. I, I really do. I love the idea of people bringing their whole teams. Especially with the three conferences lo- co-located. That's like a conference extravaganza. The topics are interesting and diverse. Like one of the things uh, I think might be interesting as well is if they had tracks depending on the maturity level of your team i think they will have tracks and one thing i've done and i and lee copeland suggests this at the conferences and i suggested i hinted at it earlier when i said i go to a bunch of talks for 10 minutes is you really do need to vote with your feet because with you're going to have i'm going to imagine as much as 10 or more different talks going on at once maybe more across the conferences yeah uh if you can't decide between two or three or four uh it's okay to rotate through and find the one that fits what you're looking for. Um, I think it's you have to use the power of your feet and realize you're not going to offend a speaker if you step out in the middle to get your most value out of the conference. Completely agree uh, in terms of learning. But in, like, I won't say this for too many topics, but for Agile, I will. Right, it's one of those things where you do want to at least understand the minimum number of rules before you begin and follow those rules directly. Yeah, and I I agree because I have seen probably one of the biggest mistakes I see in agile is just doing part of it fragile. Yeah. Doing part of it or doing a part of it to the extreme, you know, this you know, see every rant I've done on A-B testing on the Agile Manifesto. Sure. Right? But I love this idea. I love the team inclusiveness. Um, it, it's uh, fantastic. I had never heard of this before. This is a great idea. I'm glad you approve. Yeah. I have so many things to talk about. I'm not going to skip that one, but I'm going to go on. I want to talk about Agile testing. Okay. Uh, what is Agile testing? Uh, testing, uh, agile testing, uh, to the best of my knowledge is when you have a separated test team that is operating in an agile, uh, software delivery cycle. Uh, you mean like a separate organization? Yeah. Are they, that's that's where I've seen that term used the most often. So I reread, uh, agile testing, the Crispin Gregory book, the first one. Okay. To be honest, I reread the first three quarters of the book. I've, that I stopped because I got I had some other work to do, uh, and I was and I had read it. It's probably my third time reading it. I didn't realize how much I'd forgotten and how much has either subconsciously or just by way of work become very relevant to what I do, what we do, what we've talked about on the show. I saw you on Twitter. Um, so, and, and I'm going to get to that. So, one example is on your on your definition is in the agile testing book, Crispin and Gregory definitely advocate the role of the embedded tester on the team. The tester is, and so a test specialist, a test. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I also noticed they talked about the idea that a test organization can be separate, run by a separate person, even though those testers are embedded and then I was surprised, maybe not surprised is the wrong word, but like- Flabbergasted? I, 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 a little bit flabbergasted, <laughs> maybe not, not too strong of a word, but right there on page 60, 
and I've talked about, and I thought I came up with this organically, and I may have, and I don't know, the brain works in mysterious ways, but they talked about, and we've talked about this, shot, uh, <laughs> the test team being more of a test community run by the QA director or QA manager, whatever it's called, and they used those exact words in the book. And I thought, holy crap. And obviously their words came out way before I came to this conclusion, but I think it's, I've been talking about this. Like I spend my own idea for, uh, since I joined unity, I, I figured this, this community thing out like a, a month in like, Oh, of course this is how it works. Uh, and like, Oh, and, and they thought so too. But then my, did my brain see that once and then make the translation? But I, I do really feel like it was something I recognized. And because my background for even years before that has been building communities. So I feel like I came to that on my own free will. But anyway, very interesting. I love that idea. And I love, I always love when I read a book and it supports the ideas I already think. Yeah. yeah it it yeah, validates yeah. me. I like to feel validated. <coughs> That's the, the last book I read along those lines was the Head First Design Patterns. Oh, uh, that's and because I always designed in a design pattern way, but without realizing it. And then when I read that book, I'm like, oh, "This is what I do!" And oh my god, there's ways to do what I do better. Um, and honestly, that is the as far as learning design patterns, that is the number one book I recommend. Yep, it is. Uh, I mean, I read the Gang of Four book actually. Why? I, let, let me tell you, I I can't say read. I looked at all the words in the Gang of Four book, but it could, it was, it's a cure for insomnia. I, I, and it's such good information, but it's just, I don't read books like that very well. But I enjoyed, I mean, how many times have you got a tech book that was sort of a page turner? And to me, at first, design patterns really, it was engaging. It was. I, I read the whole, I read number one, it's very rare. That a tech book, I read it cover to cover. Okay. I read this one cover to cover and I did it in two weeks, including stopping, taking a design. There was a tool I was working at the same time. And I would, every time I learned a new pattern, I artificially included that in the tool. <laughs> um, in, some, in some places, it made a horrible design, but in other places, it was fantastic. Cannot recommend that book enough. Uh, on design patterns, and then we should go back to the other topic, but on design <laughs> patterns, there are only three books you should buy. Head First Design Patterns, uh, a book by Al Shalloway and his team at NetObjectives, which is called Explaining Design Patterns. Which and, I haven't read. And then the Gang of Four book. No. And the reason why is, number one, the Head First Design Patterns book is going to tell you why design patterns are friggin' useful. Um, Al Shalloway's book, Explaining Design Patterns, is going to show you how to design with them. Uh, you have uh, lots of options with design patterns. If you need to connect two objects, should you use the adapter or the, or the bridge or the facade, right? Uh, the Al uh, book helps you through that. And then the Gang of Forest book is really a reference manual. This gives you the, you know, if for some reason you need a design pattern beyond the common 20, the Gang of Four book has them. That's it. 
Like you should read the gang of four book with as much vigor as you would a dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Agile testing, modern testing. And I should uh, point out here, and I'll put this on the website. I think I may have mentioned this to you. Maybe not. Uh, The Crispin Gregory book, Agile Testing, their follow-up, More Agile Testing, which is a whole new book. It's a whole new book. And Gang of All the Books, Brent's mentioned Gang of Four book, um, which is called, and the Gang of, it's called Gang of Four book for those not familiar with design patterns. There's four authors, and it's just called Design Patterns. Yep. Uh, You can can internet search Gang of Four, it'll show up. There's the O'Reilly Headfirst, O'Reilly's publisher, Headfirst Design Patterns. Which uses Java as examples, but it's it's totally readable, totally fun. And the Al Shalloway book called Explaining Design Explaining Patterns. Design Patterns. Now, I wouldn't recommend this for the head first book because it's full of great pictures and things. But if you ever uh, like listening to books on audio, our listeners can always go to audibletrial.com, whack AB testing, and get a, their first free month of uh, Audible for free. The first month of Audible for free. Yeah, I, I, I haven't promoted that before, but I'll just throw that in there because we're, <laughs> we're kind of in book mode. So, uh, and then I guess the last design pattern book because you, you you talked about the Gang of Four book. Do you know where the Gang of Four book got their idea from? Yeah, from um, oh shoot, what's his name? The architect. Yes, uh, it'll come to me. Give me a, give me a hint. Uh, give me what? What's, uh, give me like his a, full name is actually the name the combined name of my two boys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a great hint for you, I know. <laughs> uh, that is not a good hint. Give me initials. C A. Uh, uh, it's Alexander. Last name is Alexander. Yep. It's uh, Charles. Yep. Uh, I do remember it's Alexander. I'm awful at guessing games. Uh, let me give you one more second though. Uh, don't know. Christopher Alexander. Christopher, that's right. Damn it. timeless way of building. Did you name your kids after the design patterns? No, it was accidental. (laughs) I I, I didn't even know about Christopher Alexander until after my kids were born. Maybe not consciously. Yeah. Um, But back to this idea of, right, um, like Stephen Johnson, uh, he talks about how ideas can only happen when there's enough of a background for it to be possible. Right. And then when it's possible, it's very common for them to, the same idea to pop up in multiple different places. And because it's just, it's, 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 it's uh, in a lot, of, a lot of regards, it's just the logical conclusion of these sure. two ideas sure. coming together. You. This is Steven Johnson, um, Where Good Ideas Come From. You have constantly Definitely been involved in testing. As well as you have constantly been involved in community building, so I, I find it not surprising at all that you may have independently come up with the same idea. No, totally fine. Totally fine. Um, it's been a long time since I've read the Crispin Gregory book, so when I when I hear about this talk about community, I, I constantly think of it in terms of like a matrix style organization. Yes, and, and I, that's what they're referring to. Yeah, and I, and I use that explanation a lot, kind of how we work. All so right. in rereading that book, it's like a lot of head nods. Yeah, embedded, 
obviously they don't use the phrase accelerating accelerating the achievement of shippable quality. Uh, but there's a lot of test specialist sort of work. But if they want to, we can make the licensing. (laughs) (laughs) Not having, and again, that is a book, probably the book on agile testing, but there's a lot of variations out there on what testing is on an agile team. So the question I have for you is on this show, we've talked a bit about what you and I are called modern testing. Yep. What do you think some differences may be between agile testing and modern testing? Or is modern testing just agile testing rebranded by A-B testing? Well, one of the things that I think is, I, I kind of wish we had the show notes from... <laughs> and, and, and I have ideas. And by the way, we talked about agile testing before. We talked about it uh, for 10 Several or 15 episodes. minutes in episode 8. Okay. <laughs> All right. And you know this because of one of your employees? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so the one thing I would say... Uh, that seems obvious, is this specialist versus generalist idea. In my view of modern testing, yeah, we don't really have the embedded IC tester. We would have uh, maybe an IC similar to the role that you served previously, sort of a, I don't want to use the word architect role, but something along those lines. So this goes along the lines of on a good it's an evolution mm-hmm. in that way because uh, if i do my job well enough i talked about this on a twitter rant as well uh the role of if your role is to be that test coach or the role of any coaching job really in in agile coach test coach quality coach whatever you want to call it is to work yourself out of a job yes so on these or work yourself out of a role maybe Maybe take on a more of a generalist role. You do it for a larger part of the org. You do something bigger and wider. So that's one good distinction. I thought of two. One is the role may not be needed because the test knowledge, the testing knowledge, and the quality knowledge is dispersed among the team. The the other thing, though, that I don't recall from agile testing, what we're calling in modern testing is we place a heavy focus on defining customer quality through the use of data. And that's the other one I was getting to is just data in general. One thing not mentioned in agile testing, which is huge to what how we see quality being done now, and especially in the future, is a heavy, heavy reliance on data. Data-driven at a minimum, data-centric as an ideal. What I recall from agile testing is still a book on testing. What I'm saying on modern testing, it's not really it's about, about quality. testing. Yeah. It's about quality. And we can look at this as a, a bit of a maturity model. Agile testing is the book you need to understand how to give you a good insight and understand how to adapt from a predictive test last world into a iterative or maybe even adaptive test as you go world. There's a lot of insights in there into what that looks like. So you read it the whole way through in recently? Because I do remember it being it, it covering the iterative, like the Scrum-type model, very well. Yeah. I don't recall it covering the adaptive model. Not directly. Okay. Not directly. But, again, another... Maybe that's in more agile you know, testing. We, yeah, yeah uh, maybe, maybe. But one thing we have talked about before, which is, is an important distinction, is this idea that 
waterfall model, very predictive. Some people are happy with Agile being just a pure iterative model, but I think Agile done right must be adaptive. So yeah. I, I don't see why they, while you can get stuck in the iterative, I think if you're talking about learning, and actually I want to pop back to something, adaptive becomes very important. I, when, it, when it's done right, I mean, I'll tell you, when it's done right, it is adaptive. So, and, and the reason why is because you, when, when you've done it right, you've struck on something and you can't scale with the iterative model. You have to adapt. You have to have a mechanism to cut things that aren't worthwhile doing. Let me give you two examples from Unity yep. on my team. Okay. One is I have one lead who very good at Agile. In fact, so good that in one of the teams that he barely works with doesn't have a, a, a lead right now. And he's not leading the team. He's just leading their – he's just basically playing the role of product owner. Product and, owner or scrum master? Uh, Both. Scrum master. Okay. He, so he's not telling them what no. to do. He's telling them how to do it. Correct. Okay. He's a, a very good agile coach. Okay. So he's playing that role across a bunch of teams. And I'm happy. And again, specializing generalist. He owns some quality stuff, but he's playing the role of a agile coach. Okay. And just nerging, nerging, that a word, them along uh, a little bit. And good improvements, great feedback. He's helping those teams become adaptive. So I love it. Another example, my most, I won't use the word dysfunctional. The team that needs the most improvement out of all the teams I work with, I had a conversation. Do any of these teams list of, of uh, this team? Maybe. <laughs> Again, I, I am full transparency. I'm not going to say that this team sucks because they don't. Do they have some more room for growth? And learning and becoming more adaptive, yeah, for sure. And nobody anywhere in the org, whether they're test, dev, ops, would argue with me. All right. But the point is, I asked this question because I'm some. I kind of dive in and out of being directly involved in the different teams because I own like twelve different products. But I popped in on one of the channels and said, "Hey, does this team do retrospectives?" Kind of knowing the answer based on, you, you kind of can tell whether a team does or not. Right. And it was great because the answer was, we used to, but no, not anymore. But then I had a few people message me privately and say, no, but we really need to. Can you help start doing these? So there, anytime you want to make any sort of change, having allies is good. Mm -hmm. But part of being a learning organization and part of getting to an adaptive state, like you can't do adaptive software development if you don't do a proper retrospective. Because a retrospective is about taking some time to reflect and learn. Yeah. No, the, the thing that I'm thinking here, though, that gives a clue, it, it's essentially what I find is the most successful retrospectives are the ones where essentially the leadership is disinvited. And in order to get there, now this is in this is in the Microsoft mentality where command and control is so per pervasive, it's hard to compare it to anything else, and and it sounds different than the Unity model. But um, if they're asking for your help to get there, that uh, 
to me sounds like a call for command and control to kind of nudge no, in a better direction. In, in this role, it's me not as a leader. It's me in the role of a specializing generalist. Just a couple weeks ago, I hit I hit the reset button on my own team's retrospective. We had gotten a little bit formulaic. The, the team... Um, was going through, but the team was was pivoting around being polite to each other. And so the really important things that needed to be talked about, like no one ever brought up the elephant in the room. I took back control and started uh, pointing out the elephants. I find that my role, particularly as a leader in this part, is I can build a better team by getting the whole team to hate me simultaneously in retrospective. Now, because I'll go, I'm throwing you all under the bus. <laughs> and it ended up being, I, I got uh, on the retrospective, I, each one of my ACs came after, came after the meeting and was like, I am so glad that you did that. So uh, in retrospective, one, there's a couple observations I've had in my my experience with Agile, which is, not as extensive as yours, but not bad. Retrospectives, and maybe because I'm such a big fan of the learning organization, I think it's the mo- one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable practice you can do. Uh, and that's I go back and forth between retrospective or stand-up. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go on the retrospective side for now. But the other thing is, is that there are a ton of things you can do in a retrospective. You, there's there's not one true way. There's multiple and, structure models. And I've found that varying that, everything from uh, there are games you can do. There are just, you know, whiteboard dot voting. There are a bunch of different things you can do. And the goal is not to solve every single problem of the team. It's like it's it's a just like the rest of Agile, it's a prioritization exercise. Like what are the what are the biggest levers we can pull now? And Surfacing those and fig- and coming up with not a uh, one of the mistakes I see in retrospectives is, yep, these are the problems. Let's all think about these and we'll see if they go away. And they don't. You need to c- go away with an actionable plan. Like, what are we going to do? What are the next steps we're going to do about these? And what do we expect to see? The feedback with retrospectives is that's most common is, hey, we've said this before and we've done nothing about it. One of the goals, so I, I run, when I do retrospectives, I run two different general models. Uh, there's two different structure types that I'm fond of. We do one weekly and then one quarterly. And bo- but both have to end with a minimum of two things to change and two things to celebrate. And the things that are on the change, they go on a particular rail in our... Um, if if it if it's work we had to fund versus sort of a philosophical change, uh, it will go on a rail and it'll get funded. What you and I talk about a lot is another evolution of that, where the the pure testing specialist may not be needed or is not needed on the team because they've the team gets that. And actually, I have in the dev teams that I work with, there is at least one that doesn't have a tester on the team because of that they've evolved. And and actually two things have happened there. You can look at this if people that have seen this is that team one writes very good tests themselves and anticipates where quality issues may happen and two they're the most reliant on data. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, it also occurred to me that 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 may be a sign of the maturity model that we were just talking about, shifting away from iterative to adaptive. Right, because adaptive, in order to adapt, it's about optimizing the flow of knowledge throughout the team. In order to adapt, you how adaptation is about picking the better direction to go. I think you can be... And that requires knowledge sharing. It does. And I think as the, as as... But I think you can be adaptive without following like we talk about with modern testing. Oh no no! But I think it helps. I'm with the trying growth. to generalize. Yeah, it. like, like I, I think I think the Scrum model, I think the waterfall model, I think they they solidify. Uh, if you have a testing specialist, they kind of solidify those roles. Um, they make it a, a dependent part of the process. Uh, that, you know, we've talked about codependency quite often. Whereas in the adaptive model, you're like, wait, no. Um, so when I do my presentations on, on Agile, right, the, the term specialist in my mind, I reframe it when I do the pre presentations. When Dev says, but you're saying I'm a – I get this from Dev all the time. I'm a specialist, and I'm not feeling special in your model. And I'm like, you know what a specialist is in the Agile world? And they look like, what? I said, they're called a bottleneck. Uh, because if, if there's only one person who knows how to do this stuff, and if that stuff's important, then you're bottlenecked behind their ability to get it done. Yeah. Right? And in, in an adaptive world, you really despise bottlenecks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fully agree. Shall we uh, – anything else on – did we finish on agile testing? So was Modern it just testing? those two things? Specialist versus generalist and adaptive versus no um, quality versus testing. And data. are those the biggest difference? Because I I do think because modern testing when I thought about it I I mean it was very heavily framed in in agile philosophy. I think it is too, but I think the differences are it's an evolution. I think so, and too. it's. Uh, I don't know if quali quality versus testing is a given, but I think the two big things are is that the test rule, the test specialist uh, may not be needed and uh, extreme reliance on data. Yeah. I think those are the, and thinking and reflecting about what we've talked about in, in our discussions on air quote modern testing, I think those are the biggest differences in between what we've talked about and where we see testing, go where we see quality going. The, the Whitaker talk on all this testing is getting in the way of quality. Yep. Keeps up, that title keeps on popping in my head. Yeah, when I read that one, that one was kind of a that helped, you know, put the final seal in the coffin for me. The I'm like, oh, I completely get what he's saying. Yep. Right. That that really added clarity. I think that'll inspire some questions for the mailbag. <laughs> I'm thinking through like the world that we were talking about when we talked about modern testing. I'm thinking. Like the world where it's all personalization, everybody has their own little AI bot running in the cloud. I don't think agile testing is going to help in that world. No, no, it has to be. It's a different approach. And there's actually a yeah. webinar from the folks at Behave.org, who used to be called Witch Test One, an experimentation website, uh, on using AI to uh, to do. Uh, 
experimentation and multivariate testing, which is actually an awkward and unplanned segue into the mailbag. We have a mailbag question. We do. Which is kind of about this same topic that we somehow evolved into. And, and, uh, which was odd this time because it was it, really it, accidental. It, it was a truly <laughs> an accidental segue. Brent, uh, do you want to read that question? Yeah. So on the Slack channel, Adrian posted a Adrian! article. Posted an article around something called Bandit Tests, and he asked, "Is that something you have come across in your job and have found it useful? Have you heard of?" I hadn't heard of it before I looked it up. And to me, and you know more about this thing being a statistician and math thing. It sounds like a, a sort of a variation on multivariate testing. Uh, is it not? I mean, you're testing multiple things at once and you use the results to drive what you test next. That, that's the different part. Yeah, it, it's... Um, so multivariate, as I understand, is, like, is instead of an A-B test, it's an A-B-C-D-E test. The multivariate, the, the, way, the way you phrased it, Really, it's an AA1BB1 right. testing. Yeah, you're testing multiple, multiple things at once. So you can contrast it with uh, AB testing and multivariate testing. Bandit testing is extremely useful. It is harder to understand than multivariate or AB testing, but uh, it is something that that my team. Uh, does use in our job, and we do find it useful. And oh. um, we've actually productized uh, our version of it, and it's helping to run Azure today. Um, dun dun dun! So, did you know it was called bandit testing? You, you, you heard of it before? Yeah, actually, its full name is multi-armed bandit testing. <laughs> uh, it it will. You'll often hear it in its acronym of MAB, multi-armed bandit. No, I don't know if I'd often hear that, no, but anyway, go on. Right, right. But you hadn't heard of data democratization until it came up here. So the, the general thing on this one is it's, uh, they, they, they call it multi-armed bandit because they're thinking about um, uh, slot machines, also known as the one-armed bandit. and. I guess maybe not. Of course, that was obvious to me because in the article they had a picture of slot machines. But yes, but so the I way you, that may not be people listening might go. I don't get why it's called bandit testing. Do you put a mask on? All right, go on. No. <laughs> so let's imagine that you're a gambler and you have ten coins, mm-hmm. and you have three slot machines. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you can put those ten coins in. And whichever slot machines you want. But you want to do it in the ones that will pay you off the most. And so um, the problem with a multi-arm bandit is, number one, you only have a limited number of resources. Like you start off with this 10 coins. You can't test everything ad infinitum, which is one place where it's different, I think, from multivariant or A/B testing. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. No, because um, they don't they don't necessarily. I mean, yeah, that restriction's there. You still would have an ROI sort of call on those ones. But in multi-arm bandit testing is essentially um, 
you have a limited number of experiments in which to learn from. And you, at each experiment, you have to choose between exploiting the, do- the knowledge you've already learned from prior trials or experimenting again. So it's, multi-arm bandit testing, uh, in my view, makes a lot more sense when running in production. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Be- Doesn't all experimentation kind of have to run in production? No, no, no. This isn't an experimentation thing. This is this is essentially a, a decision framework. Okay. Um, so you can think of it as if we're trying to choose between a best resource for something, we can look at prior history. Or if there's a new set of resources that come online and we don't know how good these ones are yet, we can choose, we can experiment with these new ones to see, hey, do we like these new ones better than the ones that we've already been using? So you can kind of think of it as a way to build ML and do sort of a A-B testing type of system online, inline. Gotcha. There you go. There, so it's extremely yeah. useful. It's it's a slightly different thing than A-B testing. I get it. I get it now. Yeah. My head's spinning with, uh, I, as you know, uh, I the one thing in the statistics world I've studied a little bit because I've impressed you with some fancy words yeah. in the past is experimentation. I think moving towards a culture of experimentation, again, um, my head's spinning I realize experimentation is different than uh, bandit testing. What was it called? MAB? Multi-armed bandit. Multi-armed bandit testing. But I think there is a a marriage of ML, AI, and experimentation that is yet untapped. But what I'm thinking of in my head is take a typical experiment. Which treatment is better? Treatment A or treatment B? Typically, the way you do that is you route some traffic, some portion of traffic to the new experiment. You take some, you look at the the result you want, whether mm-hmm. it's a click or a um, a sign up or whatever business result you want from that. You measure the difference, and you come back and you look at experiment results and you go, okay, this is this worked as expected or didn't. Let's try something else. But I'm predicting. I mean, it's not too much of a stretch to think of a world where. You could be a lot smarter in that sampling of who you route to. You could change based on what responses you, you got. You could say, oh, in this, you could write some uh, tools and say like, oh, in this demographic or in this part of the world or in this time zone, if I show you the ad between two and three, I get a lot more, a uh, lot more clicks. Good, good things, clicks, whatever <laughs> it is, clicks. Uh, there is a lot of addition to the just traditional like do they like it do they don't like it is you could use some computer power to figure out why and when or where or how they like it or don't like a lot it of and, the and AB, adapt automatically a lot of the ab testing that's done even today is about finding the best uh least common denominator yeah Right. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking of other examples. Like, uh, so for example, uh, is Unity in the cloud? Did they did they operate in the cloud? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's my whole. That's why I'm employed. Okay. Let's imagine that 
So here's a, here's an example for multi arm bandit. Let's say you needed to create a new VM in the cloud. Okay. Okay. And you had some success criteria: reliability, availability, some other itty. I don't really care. Okay. Now, what you can do uh, now, Azure uh, offers. Uh, I think we have. 20 different regions in which you could deploy that VM. So which VM, which region should you deploy it in? Right, you can deploy it in the one you're already in now, or you can deploy it in some new one that you haven't experimented with. But once you deploy it, it goes to prod. So if you deploy it, you could deploy it in the ones that, that you've already been doing, and with a well-known base of, of the reliability or availability, mm -hmm. or you could deploy it in something new that could be worse, but it could be better. And multi-arm bandit testing helps you adapt the right strategy. So you go, okay, I'm gonna put one here so I can start getting information from this one to see if it's better or worse. And then uh, if it ends up being better, then the ML would eventually, um, as you bring down some of these VMs, it would bring up a few others here. Got it. It's a method of making a data-driven decision. You you yeah. you have a choice to deploy in this new DC, but you want to make that choice based on data. Gives you a uh, a safer way to, well, a way to use data to make that decision in the long term. And most importantly, it it automates that decision making. Absolutely. Which is like you don't care. It like <clears throat> like the what region is deployed in. That's not something you want to spend two weeks on no, studying. No, absolutely not. Well, yeah. Cool. Okay, I think we're out of time. We are. I'll let you go back on vacation. But uh, as always, thank you, Brent. Thank you, Alan. All right, we'll see you next time on AB Testing. Watch me.